This is the American Variety Network on Block Talk Radio with Alex Cardinal. Live from Springfield, Massachusetts. Happy Thanksgiving 2015 to our listeners of the American Variety Network. Enjoy your turkey and get ready for some Christmas shopping right after your meal. Hello, fish keepers and aquarium enthusiasts. Welcome to Aquarium Talk, the podcast, here live on American Variety Network. I'm your host, fish keeper Alice Cardinelli, and let me welcome my wonderful co-host, fish maniac Donovan Barger. Donovan, how are you doing tonight, sir? Thank you so much for being here as a wonderful co-host. Hey, Alex, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing wonderful. How's your fish doing, Donovan? Oh, they're doing great, man. Everybody's healthy. Everybody's eating. Everybody's doing good. Everybody's got a water change. Awesome. My fish are doing fantastic as well. I just fed my uh, clownfish and my diamond goby before the show, so they stayed as well. I think I'm actually going to feed my fish while we're doing the show. (laughs) Oh, awesome. Sounds great. So uh, tonight, Donovan and I are going to be doing our third episode of Aquarium Talk to Podcast, aimed for beginners. Now, I really recommend you, the listeners, re-listen to the first two episodes where you will learn about the history of the fish hobby and how to set up and cycle an aquarium, because it's important, you need to know about the nitrogen cycle. So if this is your first Aquarium Talk podcast that you are tuning in, I'm happy to have you here, but make sure you listen to the first two episodes as well to get all that awesome information. Now, tonight, Donovan and I are going to talk about a topic that will make just about any fish keeper happy, but this is a topic a beginner needs to know. Tonight, we are going to give out our tips for buying fish our tips for acclimating fish, and then we'll also discuss good beginner fish in both freshwater and saltwater. Now, plus, I want you to stay tuned to the end of the show because I've got a major jaw-dropping announcement. I'm really ecstatic, and I'm really happy to share with all of you. So make sure you stay tuned for the end of the show for this wonderful announcement. So, this show is being broadcast live, so if you'd like to go ahead and call in and ask us any questions, please feel free to do so at 1-347-989-8142. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to start Aquarium Talk right after the American Variety Network introduces itself, so don't go anywhere.
You are tuned in live to the American Variety Network here, live on Block Talk Radio. With a name like American Variety, you can expect a wide variety of topics. Now, let's get live here on the AV Network. Hi, Jeremy Stillhorn. I'm tuned into the American Variety Network, where I find the show is very educational and entertaining. Are you bold enough to call in and interact with tonight's topic? Well, prove it by calling in live at one 347 to ask questions about tonight's topic or share your thoughts on tonight's topic. Just pick up your phone and dial one 347 and go into a quiet location. Again, that's one 347 Now let's get on with the show. Aquariums right here, right now on American Variety Network. Fishkeeper Alex Cardinale, his fish keeping hosts, and his fish keeping guests will chat about anything and everything aquarium fish. Ladies and gentlemen, we present to you Aquarium Talk the Podcast, which is our tropical fish keeping podcast where we will discuss anything from freshwater catfish to freshwater oddballs to the awesome saltwater clownfish, tans, and even corals and live rock. So fish keepers, sit back, relax, and unwind. Aquarium Talk, the podcast is now on the air. All right, so let's go ahead and get this third episode of Aquarium Talk started. Tonight we have a lot of discussion going on, but for the first time in a few weeks, we're actually going to talk about tropical fish, because I figured we had enough talk about equipment and uh, water levels. But I figured we'll start today's show on a fun note, and I want to start today's show by warning beginners that the fish hobby does get very addicting. Don't think that you're going to enter the fish hobby and have only one aquarium, because sooner or later... You're going to get addicted to have many aquariums. They're going to want to get a bigger tank and then a bigger tank on top of that. So that's part of the reason why I've had so many tanks over the years. The hobby is fun, but it is very addicting. And for me, the saltwater hobby is getting really addicting now. I started out with a 29-gallon saltwater aquarium, and now... I am getting ready to set up a 120-gallon fish-only saltwater system. So I am very excited about that. That's actually in the works for January, so that's going to be spectacular. And I was like that with freshwater as well. So, Donovan, has the aquarium hobby been addictive for you? Well, Alex, to be honest with you, I started with a 20-gallon, and now I have seven tanks. Um, I don't know if that you can call that addiction or obsession. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's true. A lot of people I know who start out in the aquarium hobby, they all get a second, a third, and a fourth tank. So this hobby is really addicting. So I think it's fair that we should uh, warn our listeners that they're going to get addicted to this hobby. Now, when I first started the aquarium hobby, my first fish were freshwater. And I had freshwater for about 10 or 12 years. And I've told this story numerous times before. But my first fish for freshwater were a Red Devil, an Oscar, a Paku, and two Plecos. And then I did all the research and learned that all the fish I had were way too big for my tank. So I brought back all the fish for one Oscar and uh, one Pleco. But now, in 2015, I finally entered into the world of saltwater. And my first saltwater fish are actually a pair of black and white Darwin clownfish and a diamond sand sifting goby. So uh, what were your first fish, Donovan? My first ever fish were actually some, like, uh, split-tail goldfish. I don't know really what they're called, but that's what I started with. And I didn't know anything about the hobby, so by the time <laughs> it was all said and done, they they've lost their eyes, but they were still swimming around because I never did water changes. And um, I guess the ammonia was so bad, I don't know, but it was horrible. <laughs> did you win the goldfish at a fair? Do what? Did you win them at a carnival or a fair? No, I actually got them from Walmart. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, a lot of people, when they first get into the hobby, they, they win their goldfish from a carnival or something like that. No, I started with a 10-gallon, putting a goldfish in a 10-gallon. That was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, goldfish are one of the most popular fish. That's why uh, Walmart and Petco and PetSmart have them. Yeah, no joke. Alrighty, so I think we should start giving out some uh, wonderful information. And I'm going to start giving out some tips for buying tropical fish. So the first tip I have for purchasing fish is I like to recommend people to take a trip to their local fish or pet store while their fish tank is still cycling. Then make sure to view all the aquariums. Pick out up to 10 to 20 species you like. Write them down or remember them, and then go and research those species. See if they can live in your size tank, and see if they are compatible with other fish. This way here, you can see if you can keep these fish you liked when you went to the fish store, when your tank is cycling. And this is actually one good way to familiarize yourself with a variety of species. And I, that's exactly what I did when I was cycling my saltwater aquarium. I went, to the, I went to the variety of fish stores in my area, and I looked at all the fish, and I jotted down some of the species I was interested in. And I did my research, and I took some of the ones that I had on my list off because they got too big. But that way you familiarize yourself with the variety of species. And this counts for both freshwater and saltwater. So what do you think about that, Donovan? You know, Alex, I totally agree with you, man. I mean, you've got to do your research before you can do anything with a tank. So in buying fish, um, doing your research on your fish is a really good thing. Depending on what you're wanting to get into and what your skill level is already with a tank, I mean, you could be a beginner or you could be 
a hobbyist that's been in it for 20 years and you're cycling a tank. We all have to do it. You know, I mean, uh, my thing is, is, you know, shopping for fish is really cool. Google is really cool. So, I mean, it, in my opinion, I think Alex is all around correct here. That, that, that's that's a good pointer. Awesome. So my next tip for you when considering buying a fish, when your tank is cycled and you are ready to buy fish, I recommend only adding two to four fish at a time, with two being the minimum and four absolutely being the maximum. Now, some people are going to say two is the most you can add, but I've added four before without any problems. But expect your water levels to skyrocket. And when that happens, you've got to do water changes and limit your feeding. So two to four fish at a time. And then once your tank cycles completely, you can add more. This way, your ammonia or nitrite or nitrates don't skyrocket to awful levels. Because if your nitrites get too high, your fish are going to die. So it's really important you only add two to four fish at a time. What do you think about that? Yeah, you know, that's that's great info. Uh, my question for you, though, is um, say if uh, you've got a 100-gallon tank, it doesn't matter what fish you're buying. Say you're going to put two fry, as in baby fish. Um, would you, if they were fried, would you say two or more at one time because they're so small? Or would you still say two? Hmm, that's actually a, a very tough question. If they are really small, like an inch, you could probably add a little bit more because they're so small. But usually people add fish that are in the three inches and above state, and then you have to go with two or four. But if they're really small, like an inch and a half to two inches, you could probably do two or three more without a problem. Awesome, awesome. You know, I was just thinking about that while you were talking about that. Because, I mean, if a beginner is listening to this episode and, and, you know, somebody's like, hey, I have these five fry for sale for 10 bucks and they get a deal on them, you know, you know, if it's a, I wouldn't say do that to a 10-gallon because that's putting like, that's like putting an Oscar in a, like a 150-gallon tank with like four Oscars at one time. That's not, you know, I mean, I, we'll just stick with what you said before, just two, two, two to three fish at the most. Sounds good. Now, the bigger a tank you have, you may be able to get away with adding more, but generally the rule of thumb is two to four fish at a max. Now, my next tip for buying fish, this is one that a lot of fish keepers are going to tell you, so it might sound like a broken book for me telling you if you listen to some of the awesome YouTube channels uh, that have fish keeping videos, but I'm going to say it anyway. Do not buy fish from a tank that has six fish or dead fish. Most pet stores, like your PetSmart and Petco, use a centralized system, which means if one tank is sick, there is a chance for all the fish tanks to have sick fish, and you definitely don't want sick fish in your aquarium. So we strongly advise not to buy fish from a tank that has sick or dying fish or already dead fish in the aquarium. And I noticed that a lot of my Petco's in my area are pretty good, but sometimes I do see dead fish in their systems, and I choose not to buy fish from them that day. So what are your thoughts on that, Donovan? I totally agree with you. Uh, honestly, I wouldn't buy any fish out of any aquarium if I see that any of them are dead. I, even if they don't look sick, 
they can still be sick. I, you know, they don't have to have sunken in stomachs. They don't have to have white specks on them. They don't have to be swimming sideways. Those fish are potentially sick. And if you're a beginner and you don't know how to figure out what's wrong with your fish, whatever fish you get, it's probably not a good idea to buy that day from them. Go to a different fish store or, go, you know, figure out where you want to buy your fish at. But I wouldn't buy it there. And for beginners to know, it's really important that you set up a quarantine tank because you really should quarantine every single fish you buy, whether it's a freshwater fish or a saltwater fish. And really, quarantine is just as important in saltwater as it is freshwater because saltwater fish is much more expensive. And even though freshwater fish are cheap, it's important to quarantine them because one sick fish could kill all your other fish. Now, setting up a quarantine tank is rather simple. All you really need is a 10-gallon to a 29-gallon tank. could be as small and simple as a 10-gallon with a sponge filter, some plastic plants, and a little hiding cave. And for a saltwater tank, it could be as simple as a 10-gallon tank with a piece of live rock and a sponge filter as well. So I really recommend setting up quarantine tanks. You can use water from your display tank and uh, just turn on the sponge filter and you're ready to go. So make sure you quarantine all of your fish. Otherwise, you're running into possibility of a fish wiping out your entire system. Now, this past winter, I've had that happen to me. I made a beginner mistake when I didn't quarantine a green phantom pleco, and he wiped out all of my cichlids and some of my other rarer pleckles, so I lost about $500 because I didn't quarantine my green phantom pleco. So quarantine is very, very important. So uh, do you quarantine your fish, Donovan? Actually, uh, I'll be honest with you, Alex, I don't. I'm making a beginner mistake all day long. I usually never have problems with the fish I get because I've kind of figured out where to buy them at. If I needed a quarantine tank, I could get me a five-gallon bucket or something of the sort. If for some reason I see a sick fish, you know that that's like an oh crap situation. Don't don't I would not keep a five-gallon bucket and a fish in there for three weeks to four weeks. Just an oh crap situation, guys. So really think about that whenever you're making a judgment call. Say if you buy a fish and you think it's not sick after you get it out of your quarantine tank, and you've got your tank there. And you got you got to start realizing that fish is sick. Well, you've got no more sick fish in this tank, and you're treating them for something else. Get a five-gallon bucket. Uh, yeah, out of the closet, you got those closed tubs, whatever it might be. I mean, but this is a no-crap situation. That uh, that's totally my opinion. Um, I I do not have a quarantine tank, Alex. To answer your question, I just kind of wanted to add that in there for an no-crap situation. But uh, in the future, I probably will. Now that I know what I know. But, I, like I said, I don't really have to worry about it because I know where to get my fish at and what's going on with my uh, the guy that I actually get my fish from. So That's awesome. I actually uh, buy from my local fish store, School of Fish, Inc., in Indian Orchard, Mass. And I know the owner, I know all the staff, and I know that they actually spend time quarantining their fish. So I know my fish are good. But I still uh, quarantine my fish just to make sure my fish are really healthy. I actually have a... 10-gallon quarantine saltwater tank right now. It's actually empty, but I just set it up because I know that in two weeks I'm going to be buying some more fish 
for my saltwater oh, experience. Oh, what are you getting? Uh, probably a flame hawk and um, a blenny and a fire shrimp. Sweet man. Yeah, I set up my uh, QT tank today. I just added some uh, of my 29 gallon water, so I'll let that cycle for a little while. But, yeah, that's a good idea to do for salt, man, because those suckers are expensive. Yeah, that's true. So I actually would, uh, again, like to remind, remind you guys that quarantine is uh, really important. And uh, later on, like in another show here on Aquarium Talk, I'll do a whole episode about quarantines and all the different diseases and parasites that fish can have because that's a topic I feel really strong about now that I lost over $500 in freshwater fish this past winter. That sucks. Yeah, it was terrible, but now I know I need to quarantine everything. But uh, my next tip for you guys tonight is you should inspect the fish before deciding to purchase them. Inspect them to make sure they are healthy. The fish should be plump, have some weight to it, but not be paper thin. It should not have something in eyes or a stomach, and the fish should be very active and should retreat with any movement in an aquarium. So for freshwater fish, they should be very fat and well-shaped, and they should definitely be very active when the employee or yourself puts your hand in the water. Saltwater fish should also be very active and be very shy and nervous when you put your hand into the tank. One of the most notorious fish for being paper thin and looking uh, malnourished is the yellow tang. And that is because most fish stores will not feed them in their store. So they are really, really thin. But luckily, School of Fish, Inc., my fish store, has a fantastic yellow tang tank. They feed their yellow tangs uh, sea algae and seaweed. So their yellow tangs are awesome. But those are one of the few fish that I've seen at other stores that I've noticed, like, the fish may have parasites or be in poor health. But I go to school of fish, these yellow tangs are fat, they're eating, and they're a decent price compared to the other stores that I've been to. But one of my listeners said that I should bring up the yellow tang when I talked about this particular tip on the show, and I definitely agree with him. Now, for the freshwater side, some sewer dollars may look a little bit thin because sewer dollars are actually almost like the uh, freshwater version of a yellow tang. There are also allergy eaters and vegetarians as well. Um, they don't eat allergy on purpose. It's not what they eat in the wild, but they'll eat it in the aquarium. So don't go thinking you have allergy, you're going to go buy a sewer dollar, because it's not normally what they eat. Mine ate allergy in my tank just because I happened to have it and they were hungry. But sewer dollars are generally just vegans. They love lettuce and they love vegetables. But I just thought I'd share that with you. Now, there is an exception to the active rule. The only exception would be with, with catfish and plecos. These fish normally hide in your fish stores. And they're going to hide at home. So if you lift up their rock, these fish should retreat to the next available rock. Or if they remove all the rocks, these fish should be uh, swimming out in the open. And they should be very fat. What are your thoughts on that, Donovan? My thoughts on that are no matter what fish as a beginner that you're going to buy, make sure you follow everything that Alex just said, following with 
you treat every fish as it's sick when you bring it home to a quarantine tank. Very well said. Now, uh, this one is one that I recommend all beginners to do just because you want to make sure your fish is eating. Ask the employees to feed the fish before buying so you know that the fish is eating. For example, I bought my diamond goby, and I, in my research it says that diamond gobies are very hard fish to get to eat because they are sand sifters and eat the fauna out of the live sand. But I wanted one that I knew was already eating uh, tropical fish food. And uh, the employee said to me that this fish, the diamond goby, was eating uh, new era saltwater foods and he was eating market shrimp and uh, blood worms. So I said, prove it to me. I want to see this thing eat. So he fed it and it ate actually. It came to the top and ate right out of his hand. So I knew that he was eating. And I took them home. But School of Fish uh, does feed their fish every day. So I was not surprised at all to see that diamond goby eat. So now I know I have a very healthy goby. Now, I'm going to admit to you guys, nine times out of ten, I usually do not ask the fish store to feed the fish. Uh, but I do now because saltwater fish are a lot more delicate than freshwater fish. And I want to make sure that uh, the saltwater fish I am getting does eat. So I really recommend you ask your fish employees to feed the fish. What are your thoughts on that, Donovan? I totally agree with you, Alex. Um, you know, some fish stores, they may be super busy and some may not be busy. Uh, if you can get them to feed them, awesome. But, you know, if you can't, then, I, you know, it is what it is. Just go back to square one where Alex was speaking about making sure the fish is fat, the eyes aren't huge on the fish, and the body's shrunk down. Make sure that the, the fish is doing a lot, is alive and well, and not swimming sideways, not hanging out on the bottom. And like the Placos, I'm going to repeat this like Alex said. If that Placo is not running from another rock after the fish store guy picks the rock up, do not get that Placo. There's going to be something wrong with them. That's right. Now, uh, the next tip I have is for people living in the Northeast and the states that suffer cold temperatures, and it can also be used for other people as well, but when you are buying a fish, you should try to get home as soon as possible after leaving the tropical fish store with your fish. Now, it's okay to keep them in a bag for up to a few hours, but anything after that may be harmful for the fish because ammonia is going to build up and the water levels could get really toxic for your fish and your fish could die. Now, one freshwater fish that is notorious for dying in a tropical fish bag would be the Corridoris catfish because the Corys the Corys actually have a toxin that they use in self-defense and when they're stressed. That's why a lot of Cory cats die in fish bags and if they're in the back for over an hour is because those toxins got out and it poisoned the other quarries in the bag. So if you are going to be buying uh, Corridoris catfish or any poisonous fish for that matter, because it could happen to lionfish and uh, fox feces and all the poisonous fishes, even in the saltwater side, make sure that the employee uh, stresses them out really bad in the tank. I know it sounds cruel, but 
by the employees shuffling them out in the tank, the chances are the fish is actually going to release the toxins in the fish tank, and uh, it won't be as deadly as a bag because there's no filtration in the bag. The filtration in the fish tank will take care of the toxins. And uh, so you have to really be careful of that. Make sure you uh, send the employee. Make sure you pinpoint a quarry or whatever toxic fish it is and uh, make him chase them down to release the toxin. Anyways, I know Christmas time is coming up, and I know that the cold winter months are coming up. So especially with the cold season, do not buy fish and then go Christmas shopping because your fish will freeze to death. Now, you're probably saying, well, we order fish online. We get fish shipped right to our door. And you do. Fish are shipped year-round, and that's because they get heat packs in their shipping box. When you buy fish in your local fish store, nine times out of ten, they're not going to provide you a box with a heat pack and all the necessary stuff to last for up to 24 hours. So you have to... Be prepared. You have to rush home with your fish in the wintertime because of the cold temperatures. So I know that you are from Texas, Donovan, and really you don't get cold, do you? Uh, well, we kind of get a little chilly. It's more of a uh, dry cold than anything, and it like kind of cuts right through you. Um, we really don't get a lot of snow or ice, but, I mean, it's freezing down here. Alex, am I allowed to beg to differ? Sure, go ahead. This is this is uh, your show too. Okay, well I, I'm begging to differ on what you kind of said there. Um, beyond the poisonous fish, which I don't deal with, I don't know anything about the toxins and things like that. Because you know I I pretty much do African cichlids. So my thing, I beg to differ because I've I've ordered a lot of fish online. And I've actually traveled down to Dallas and spent eight to ten hours in Dallas fish shopping. And I've had fish in the car the whole time, and then it's like an hour and a half drive home. Um, Of course, it's an African cichlid, too. It's not the fish you're talking about. So, I mean, cichlids, I think that they would be okay actually in a bag for eight to ten hours if if you're on the go. But also the thing is, when people do ship, they don't feed their fish the day before they send the fish out because they don't want the ammonia to get so bad in the bag that it does kill the fish. So, Alex, actually, let's take that back. You are correct, because the fish stores have fed the fish the day before. So, yes, you probably don't need to have the fish in there for more than an hour to three hours, to be honest with you. Um, Beyond that, everything else you said, Alex, I I totally agree with you on that. Um, So let let me say I I apologize. I'll take that back. (laughs) Oh, no problem. You know, I'm actually glad you did bring that up because that was going to be my next point, actually. So it worked out well anyway. But uh, like I said, uh, we're going to go on to our, our next point here for buying live fish. Now, in Donovan's case, he was a good hour and a half away from his uh, local fish store. So if you do live far from the fish store and you want to buy a fish that day, ask them to put oxygen in the bag. It's really important that your fish has oxygen in the bag if you know it's going to be several hours before you get home. So what I like to do is about half water and half oxygen in my bags when I bag my fish myself. That way um, there shouldn't be any problems. Sometimes I'll do a little less than half water and more oxygen if I know it's going to be more hours. 
So if you know you're going to be on the road for three or four hours, five, six hours, you should be okay if you get a lot of oxygen in the bag. And there's right. actually and a... I would... Go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, okay. Right. And also, I would say uh, if you're going to be got that far and gone that long, make sure that the fish store puts the fish in a bigger bag so that way the ammonia doesn't get to them as bad while they're peeing and pooping in the bag. Very well said. Make sure you use the bigger bag as possible as well. And uh, make sure they only bag one fish per bag. That way there's no issues uh, territorial-wise and water quality-wise as well. So do you have any more thoughts thoughts on that? Uh, Yeah. I was going to say, like you said, make sure that you have them each one separately bagged. Because I've I've came home with uh, two fish in a bag. It was a male and a female. The male actually took the female and stressed her out, and she died before I got home. So make sure you get every fish in a separate bag, even if it's going to be a pain in the butt. It's going to be more of a pain in the butt when you get home and realize, oh, well, I just lost $15 because that fish is dead. Not not that uh, that all fish keeping is expensive. It does get expensive in the long run. But when you're a beginner and starting out and you go out and buy your first three fish or whatever, you don't want to come home and have two of them dead. That's pretty That's pretty devastating, and it kind of ruins you in the hobby. So make sure that each fish is separately bagged. And you are 100% correct there. So those are all of our tips for buying fish. Now we're going to talk about the do's and don'ts of buying tropical fish. Now, there are many factors to take into consideration when buying tropical fish. First-time buyers will need to decide which type of habitat they want to create in their aquarium. Now, obviously, if your tank is cycled, you've already done that. And we already know that there are freshwater, saltwater, and brackish species, and they are kept in separate tanks because of differing water chemistry needs. So, for best results, Shoppers will want to select fish with compatible temperature requirements and similar behaviors. It's also important to look for healthy fish with no visible signs of disease. Now, tank capacity is another concern when buying tropical fish. It is never a good idea to overcrowd a fish tank. For this reason, buyers are cautioned against adding too many fish to the tank at one time. Before introducing new tropical fish, steps should be taken to acclimate them to their new home, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes. This will ensure a stress-free experience for the buyer and for the fish. So, what to do when buying tropical fish? Before buying tropical fish, it's adventurous to learn about their differing habitats and aquarium requirements. Exploring various species may help buyers decide which type they like to own. By researching vendors and breeders, people can feel confident their new fish will be very happy and healthy. So the first thing you should do before buying a fish is learn about varying tropical fish habitats. Before purchasing live tropical fish, buyers must decide if they want freshwater marine or brackish tropical fish. You really should do this the time you buy your fish tank. 
These three types of tropical fish each live in separate aquatic ecosystems. Deferring water condition requirements means that they cannot all live together in the same aquarium. The aquarium ecosystem will need to be tailored to the particular species of fish it will house. So, freshwater fish, as the name suggests, freshwater fish live in freshwater ecosystems around the world. There are thousands of freshwater fish species available for aquarium owners. First-time aquarium owners often choose freshwater fish because they are easier to maintain and very affordable. The startup equipment and supplies for a freshwater tank are less expensive than those required for a marine tank. Now, a saltwater fish tank or marine tropical fish, they live in oceanic saltwater conditions. While giant marine aquariums full of colorful fish are certainly attractive, the upkeep costs can be prohibitive for many buyers. For this reason, it is recommended that people start with a freshwater or brackish water tank before moving to a marine tank. There are two main types of saltwater aquariums, reef tanks and my personal favorite, fish only with live rock. Now, that stands for F-O-W-L-R, flower, and that stands for fish only with live rock as well. And these tanks only include fish, live rock, and select inverts like shrimps, crabs, and snails and sometimes starfish, while reef tanks also include live coral and edible invertebrates. Now, to learn more about reef tanks, I advise you to tune into my last episode with Seth Rhine. And by the way, that show has over 600 listeners, so I'm very excited about that. Now, uh, reef tanks require a high level of planning and maintenance to duplicate this unique marine ecosystem. But well, you could also do a fish-only tank, and that's another possibility, but they are not as realistic of an environment for marine fish to inhabit. Now get this, folks. There are close to 15,000 saltwater fish available to buyers. Now, brackish fish are actually a cross between freshwater and saltwater. They have very low salinity. So... Freshwater water levels are 72 to 82 degrees Fahrenheit for their heat, 6.5, 7.5 pH, and there is no salinity in a freshwater aquarium. A marine aquarium has 72 to 78 degrees Fahrenheit, a pH of 8.1 to 8.4, and the salinity of a saltwater aquarium should be 1.20 to 1.025. And brackish has a temperature range of 72 to 82 degrees Fahrenheit, 7.5 pH to 8.4 pH, and a 1.006 to 1.15 uh, salinity. Now, buyers are urged to research the specific needs of the tropical fish species they're interested in purchasing. Specialized aquarium equipment aids owners in achieving the right conditions in their tank. All right. So now you should be able to explore hundreds upon hundreds of popular species of tropical fish. The freshwater popular species include bettas, tiger barbs, tetras, cichlids, koi, and catfish. And on the saltwater side, 
You've got clownfish, tangs, dwarf angels, damsels, gobies, blennies, and inverts. So there's a whole lot of different species for every fish keeper out there. The last thing I could say you should do as a beginner when considering buying fish is to purchase tropical fish from reputable sellers and reputable stores. Before buying tropical fish, it's important to investigate the reputation and the reputation of the store or breeder. Now, adding diseased fish to an aquarium could have devastating effects on the existing fish tank population. Buyers must exercise extreme caution if they decide to shop around for the best deal. All right, so let's talk about what not to do when buying tropical fish. There is a whole lot of things that you should not do when buying tropical fish. And the first one is don't choose incompatible tropical fish species because sometimes I see beginners throwing Oscars and guppies together in the same aquarium or throwing, uh, let's say, uh, groupers with clownfish for the saltwater side because a grouper would eventually eat the clownfish. <laughs> but, <laughs> but after choosing between freshwater marine and brackish tropical fish, buyers will need to select compatible tank mates. Fish from the same habitat aren't necessarily compatible. So make sure you do your research and don't add some of the fish that you think are compatible. You may not know. You have to do your research first. Now, don't ignore visible signs of disease. If you see white spots on a fish or if you see them scratching or really thin, don't buy them because it's a sign of disease. So uh, here are some signs of disease. Uh, for a fish that I want to talk about. Peeling scales, ulcers, boils, bulging eyes, gill discoloration, ragged fins, and a lack of appetite. You definitely don't want to buy any of those fish. You'll also see small white crystals or black nodules indicate parasitic infection. You also don't want patchy or dark coloration because that can be a sign of stress. Those are all signs. Unless it's of, an Oscar. Yes, you're right about that. Unless it's an Oscar. But generally, <laughs> those are all signs of uh, thick fish. And the last don't for when buying fish is overcrowd an aquarium because stressed out fish could quickly become sick fish. So tank overcrowding should be avoided at all costs. So make sure you don't overstock your aquariums. Now, don't forget to acclimate tropical fish to their new aquarium. Buyers should never dump tropical fish directly into the new aquarium. This can cause unnecessary shock and stress, which could eventually lead to death. Don't worry if the fish do not intentionally appear to be alive in their transport bag. Fish often become inactive during transport, but will revive once properly acclimated to the new environment. So, for the safety of the fish, it's recommended that buyers introduce them to the aquarium using a suitable method. All right. So, here's the fun part of the show for me, at least. Now, we're going to talk about acclimating fish. So, how do I acclimate a fish? Well, listen carefully. This is really important. There are three methods of proper acclimation. 
The first is called the floating bag method. Now, the floating bag method includes placing the transport bag into the aquarium where the fish will reside. This is the most common method of aquarium fish introduction. The transport water is periodically replaced with tank water over the course of an hour. This allows the fish to slowly acclimate to tank conditions. After the acclimation process is complete, the fish can be netted and placed into the tank. Never ever under any circumstances add the fish store water to your tank because you do not know what's in their water. So please, for the love of God, don't add fish store <laughs> water to your aquarium. <laughs> it's funny because I sometimes see people on YouTube posting videos of getting new fish and I see them pouring the bag into their fish tank. I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, if I see a video, <laughs> if I see a video a week later with Dick in that tank, I know what the cause was. Dirty water from the fish store. <laughs> For the love of God, do not do it. <laughs> uh, oh, man, Alex, I love you, man. You kill me. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So that's the first method of acclimation. The second one is bucket method. Now, the bucket method is very similar to the floating bag approach. The only difference is that the transport bag is placed in a clean bucket rather than in the tank. After that, the acclimation process and procedure is the same. Some people prefer the bucket method because it prevents transportation water from entering the aquarium. Now, to me, the bucket method is the same thing as the floating bag method, except you're safer because you won't add the water to your tank, and um, you don't have to float the bag that much either. So that's the second method. And the third and final method is the drip acclimation method. Now, this one is used and preferred to acclimate marine fish and inverts. This method gives delicate fish plenty of time to acclimate to their new environment. Certain species are extremely sensitive to water chemistry, a.k.a. fire shrimp, Cleaner shrimp, corals, and all the saltwater inverts. This means they'll need extra time to acclimate to new conditions. To use the drip method, first place the transport bag in a clean bucket, then use rubber tubing to siphon and slowly drip aquarium water into the transport bag. Depending on the fish, drip acclimation can take up to three hours. Now, you can also use the bucket method for saltwater fish and saltwater inverts as well. Just go nice and slow. So those are hey man, so so how do you do the how do you do the drip acclimation exactly? Great question. So what you would need to do is find a uh, large bucket or container large enough to hold your fish, pour the fish out of the bag into the container. And then you take an airline tube and you slowly drip water into the bucket housing the fish. And you want to do this for about two to three hours. But first, you want to make sure that water goes to the top. And then you want to replace the water with some more of the uh, dripping water from your tank. So do that about four or five times. And that should take about 
two to three hours, and you should be good to go. Then you can just net out the fish and put them in your tank. Uh, it is so a do very you just tough... like? Do so you just like uh, suck on the tube to make suction and then put it in the bucket, or I mean, what do you? I mean, is it like an air tube, like air tubing, or what's the deal? Yeah, it's like air tube. You can, you can suck on it, or what I do is I put my thumb on top of it, and I uh, let air get into it, and then I let go when the water comes out. So oh, okay. It's basically the same thing as a siphon, just really, really smaller. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, but this, this acclimation is really time-consuming, and uh, I usually do not do this unless I have a really sensitive invert or sensitive fish. I usually just do the bucket method. So my method of acclimating is the bucket method, or I'll use the floating back method. Those are my two methods I use. I rarely ever use the drip method. I don't, I don't think I ever used drip before, so I probably use it when I get my fire scrimp, though. So how do you acclimate your fish? I would fish, try it Donovan? out. I'm sorry? How do you acclimate your fish, Donovan? Um... Uh, depend, uh, if I'm buying the fish, then I will put the bag in the aquarium and then I will let it float and get the, uh, temperature just right. And then I will pull the fish out with my hand, but make sure your hand is wet if you do that. So you don't hurt the fish at all when you grab the fish. Now, don't get me wrong. You're going to stick your hand in the water to get the fish. I understand that, but make sure your hand's wet before that because your hand doesn't get fully moisturized. You've got dead skin and things of that sort that's going to hurt the fish. So be careful when you do that. Certain fish have different slime on them, so you don't want to pull the slime off. So your probably best bet was to get a small net and get the fish out. But I usually take and grab the fish out of the bag and put it in the tank. Now, my seven tanks in the other room, um, my 200 in the living room, and then I got six other tanks in there. Well, actually, I've got eight tanks. Okay, never mind. So... I usually just do drop and plop with them because I move babies from the small tanks to the larger tanks so they can grow out. So I have all the same water perimeters in every tank, and I know what fish are sick and what fish aren't, which I'm not saying I have sick fish, but I'm just saying I know that they're not sick because they're in my system. They're all rain-off sponge filters, the fried tanks are, and I just drop and plop with those guys. Every, every water is all the same. The pH is the same in every tank. And then we've also got the temperature, which is like 78 to 80 in every tank. So really there's only going to be a one or two degree difference for the fish. So I can just drop and plop, which is the drop and plop method is pretty much just get the fish out of the tank and throw it into another tank. So that's, that's how I do my fish here. Awesome. I'm glad you mentioned that. I, for, I totally forgot about that acclimation methods because probably I'm in the freshwater side. And all three of the methods I mentioned tonight are actually saltwater methods. So... I forgot about the drop and plop. <laughs> you better get out of that salt method, man. <laughs> start thinking fresh water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love both salt and fresh, but uh, crew, crew my mine's pretty salty you. now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what are we going to do with you, Alex? You just turned in salt to it, man. I don't know what. I don't even know if I can. I don't know if I can hang out with you anymore. <laughs> you're too, you're yeah, too, too cool for us freshwater people. <laughs> uh, that's not true, Bill. No. I still love the fish. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Alright, so this is a great start to our show. I think we're going to go ahead and take our, uh, intermer- our intermersion, intermission, I mean, rather. 
And uh, coming up next, we're going to have a discussion on good beginner fish for freshwater and saltwater. And after that, I've got that jaw-breaking and jaw-dropping announcement that's going to be really exciting. So make sure you guys stay tuned. That's right after our good beginner fish discussion. But first, we're going to take our infomercial and our intermission, which is being sponsored by rapper Ryan Serini. And I'm actually happy to play two of his songs in each episode of the American Variety Network. Now, tonight, I'm going to be playing some songs that are very personal to Ryan Serini, and he would really appreciate me playing these songs on his show. The first song I'm going to play is called The Suicide Note, and it's actually a song about his father. And the second song is called uh, Make You Feel Good. So we're going to hear these two songs and then our infomercial, and we'll be right back talking more about tropical fish, and we're actually going to start talking about fish species right after the infomercial. So don't go anywhere, folks. Warning. The following presentation is highly explicit. If you have sensitive ears, I suggest you do not listen to the content of this recording. The following is a true story about a very troubled man. His thoughts, actions, feelings, and lifestyle will be told through me. This man committed suicide January 21st, 2008 at the age of 37. I am that man's son, and this is his suicide note. Myself, cause you killed me first. Kick me to the curb, no one cared when I hurt. And I was all alone on my own on the streets, scared shitless. Cause mine was beat repeatedly by some cocksucker, a motherfucker. My motherfucking father beat me and my brother. And that's where I learned to beat my wife every goddamn night of a goddamn life. Like father, like son, right, dad? I hope you feel like a man. Fuck my girlfriend, yeah Fuck her hard for me She likes that Have a heart attack I'd like that I'm not afraid to say I hate you I hope you die Cause this is all your fault You're the reason my Wife's eyes are the size of my fist And she's laying there bloody With a busted lip because Let me start off by saying Fuck you, yeah Fuck you all Fuck you all I hope you motherfuckers rot in hell While I sit Fuck you, yeah, fuck you all 
your fault. What I was like when I was your age I threw a 20 pound ashtray at your mom's face You're old enough now to know why I stayed away I was selfish, I was sick, it was best that way I left my only son and I regret it every day But it might be the best decision I've ever made I've been in and out of jail, in and out of rehab Imagine having a dad who put you through that It's hard enough knowing I was a drunk who didn't want to grow up and take care of his son. I know exactly how you feel. You hate my guts, and I don't blame you. I fucked up. What you want me to say? I can't change the past. If I could, I would, but we both know I can't. I've made too many mistakes, caused too much pain. I'm still bothered by the fact you changed your last name. Let me start off by saying fuck you, yeah. Fuck you all. Motherfuckers rotten hell while well, I sit here and laugh at you all You all think you're so different from me, huh? That's where you're wrong I want you to know now that I'm gone That this is all your fault Fuck you all So My dad made rounds tonight before he passed away And he came to my house Knocked on my door He spoke to my grandmother he asked my grandmother if I was home. She said I wasn't home. And then he went on his way. The next day, I found out that he passed away. And I was told that he had a 30 capsule prescription to Zoloft, which is an antidepressant. And he took five capsules every hour for six hours straight and went to sleep that night. Like nothing was wrong and died in his sleep. And he left a suicide note that read, Fuck you all! Let me start off by saying, Fuck you, yeah! Fuck you all! I hope you motherfuckers rot in hell while I sit here and laugh at you all! You all think you're so different from me, huh? That's where you're wrong! I want you to know now that I'm gone! Your fault. Fuck you all. Let me start off by saying fuck you, yeah. Fuck you all. Fuck you all. I hope you motherfuckers rot in hell while I sit here and laugh at you all. You all think you're so different from me, huh? That's where you're wrong. I want you to know now that I'm gone that this is all your fault.
She caught me by surprise Right away I caught the vibe When she walked by, we locked eyes Now to get on her good side Let me get that mo Had this champagne I'm pouring Gonna break all her walls down Make sure she open, uh Now tell me about you and don't tell me It's complicated, you stressed out Need a vacation, life's good We celebrate it, deep like an artiste Can tell right away she been hurt She holds back when we converse My next move's to charm her Never met a girl like you before Look at your eyes, so beautiful Got a smile and ear to ear Those luscious lips I'm dying for I want her, she knows it But I play it cool cause she been through Bullshit with them other dudes I ain't like them, I never hurt you I'm a hopeless romantic You baby girl, I never take for granted All I'm asking for is trust Once you match it, I bring passion This is easy, you believe me Got you blushing, now you're crushing Your emotions can't control them This is a moment, so we toasting We got it, we got it, we got it Ain't night when we riding We riding I make you feel good, good Make you feel good I make you feel good, good, make you feel good, good Baby, we got it, we got it, we got it Ain't night when we riding, we riding I make you feel good, good, make you feel good I make you feel good, good, make you feel good, good. I hope I'm not out of line, but that deep shit intrigues me I wanna know about the real you, not just what my eyes see. You're different, I get that, no question. I'm with that, but I'm talking about your secrets, not your fashion statements. You girl are gonna go far, destined for greatness. Now I hate to be a distraction, but I find you amazing. You tell me you're broken, love life's a disaster. When your parents got divorced, man, that shit ate at you like cancer. My parents got divorced too. Honestly, I understand you. Your biggest fears are my biggest fears I ain't here to deceive you I'm seen every time I'm near you Got me hooked by first impression Wanna know what it is you're thinking You're artistic, that's attractive You're ambitious In a few months you gon' graduate With the whole world in front of you You do big things, let's celebrate Them all night is paid off You deserve a big city life Big dreams, bright lights You're a star girl, shine all night Every night We got it, we got it, we got it Ain't night when we riding, we riding I make you feel good, good, make you feel good I make you feel good, good, make you feel good Baby, we got it, we got it, we got it Ain't night when we riding, we riding I make you feel good, good, make you feel good I make you feel good, good, make you feel good I make you feel I make you feel Ladies and gentlemen, these songs were provided to us by our sponsor, Ryan Serini, the awesome rapper. Please check out his website, www.ryanserini.com. Do you have something you'd like to promote or advertise? Do you want to get some much-needed exposure for your business or your very own Facebook page or even your very own podcast? Well, look no further than Jackie's help and advice for promoting on Facebook. Jackie will help you advertise your goods and help you spread the word. 
I, Alice Cardinelli, have personally been great friends with Miss Jackie Wilkes, and she has a very kind heart, and she is a very sweet lady, and she will definitely help you grow like she has helped Alice Cardinelli grow. To advertise and promote your business or anything you want to advertise, please like and check out the page, Jackie's Help and Advice for Promoting on Facebook. Are you enjoying tonight's episode of the American Variety Network? Great! The American Variety Network really appreciates your listening. We also appreciate listener feedback. Please feel free to email us your thoughts and opinions on tonight's show. Our email address is AmericanVarietyNetwork at Comcast.net. That's American Variety Network at Comcast.net. You may also email us with any questions, comments, or concerns you may have about our show. You can also email us to book a guest appearance on the American Variety Network, or you may contact us to become a sponsor of the American Variety Network. American Variety Network at Comcast.net. Would you like to find out when the next episode of the American Variety Network is? Do you want to find out the news and updates for the American Variety Network? Well, all you have to do is go on your computer and log on to the social media sites. The American Variety Network is now on Facebook and Twitter. That's right, you can find the American Variety Network on Facebook and Twitter. Like our fan page on Facebook called American Variety Network and follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter fan page is at American Network One. Again, our fan page on Facebook is American Variety Network. Hit like and our fan page on Twitter is at American Network One and hit follow. While you're here listening to this show on Blog Talk Radio, feel free to check out some of the other great shows Blog Talk Radio has to offer. There are shows for everyone, whether it be sports shows, politics shows, comedy shows, talk shows, and yes, even church religious shows. Become a loyal listener of Blog Talk Radio. Today, blogtalkradio.com. What are you thankful for this year? You know what Alex Cardinali and the American Variety Network are thankful for. You the listeners. That's right, Alex and all of us here at the American Variety Network are so glad you listen to our shows and tune into them. We love you listeners, remember that. The American Variety Network and Alex Cardinali would like to wish you a happy Thanksgiving and we hope you enjoy some tasty turkey and have a nice meal with your loved ones.
Be thankful for what you have and spend time with your loved ones. Happy Thanksgiving all. American Variety Network fans, mark your calendars and get ready to celebrate. Saturday, November 21st, 2015 at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Mountain and 6 p.m. Pacific The American Variety Network reaches another milestone as we celebrate our 250th episode. Our 250th episode is going to be filled with plenty of awesome surprises and fun. Here to tell you more about the 250th episode is the host himself, Alex Cardinale. On the 250th episode, there will be three special surprise guests, including one fishkeeping guest who will be broadcasting live from the Ohio Cichlid Association 2015 Extravaganza and two other awesome surprise guests. There will be some awesome comedy clips guaranteed to make you laugh and last in the past clips and there will also be a lot of fun. I personally invite you, my listeners, to help me celebrate 250 awesome episodes as you've been a huge part of my success. So join me live Saturday, November 21st, 2015 at 9 p.m. Eastern for our 250th episode at blogtalkradio.com forward slash American Network. Calling out all you turkeys and turkey lovers. Come join the American Variety Network on Thanksgiving Day for a special holiday-themed episode. This will be our very first podcast broadcast live on Thanksgiving Day. Live Thursday, November 26, 2015 at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Mountain, and 8 a.m. Pacific. Alex Cardinali will broadcast the American Variety Network for a special Thanksgiving Day morning special. This will be your last chance to ask any last-minute Thanksgiving cooking questions. I'll discuss how to make the perfect Thanksgiving turkey. I'll discuss NFL football on Thanksgiving, and much more. So come spend your Thanksgiving morning with the American Variety Network on Thanksgiving at 11 a.m. Eastern. Happy Thanksgiving! Breaking news just into the American Variety Network studios. On Monday, November 30, 2015 at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Mountain and 6 p.m. Pacific, Alex is going to share some groundbreaking news and announcements that will shock the American Variety Network and Blog Talk Radio. What is the news? Well, you're going to have to tune in live on Monday, November 30th because no one is going to find out. Suspense is the best. Plus there will also be a special surface guest returning to the American Variety Network for the first time in over a year. So what is the major news? We will find out on November 30th. You're listening to the American Variety Network. Your only place for variety on Blog Talk Radio. Hey, 
calling all fish keepers. It's time to chat aquariums right here, right now on American Variety Network. Fish keeper Alex Cardinale, his fish keeping hosts, and his fish keeping guests will chat about anything and everything aquarium fish. Ladies and gentlemen, we present to you Aquarium Talk the Podcast, which is our tropical fish keeping podcast where we will discuss anything from freshwater catfish to freshwater oddballs to the awesome saltwater clownfish, tans, and even corals and live rock. So fish keepers, sit back, relax, and unwind. Aquarium Talk the Podcast is now on the air. by Ryan Serini, the rapper from Chicago, and hopefully you guys have enjoyed those rap songs. Tonight we are discussing tropical fish, and everything you can know about tropical fish. Before our intermission, we talked about tips for buying new fish and acclimating your new fish. Now, we're going to go ahead and start talking about the different kinds of good beginner fish for freshwater and saltwater. But first, I'd like to remind all of my live listeners out there that if you have any questions or want to share your own advice, please feel free to call in at 1-347-989-8142. All right, so let's get back to our topic for tonight. So I'm going to start by talking about the different kinds of setups for freshwater. The first freshwater setup is the community setup. Now this usually has peaceful, no aggression whatsoever, and it usually consists of schooling fish, such as tetras, barbs, live bearers, corridoris, etc. And sometimes it's aquascaped with live plants or artificial plants. Nine times out of ten, people entering into the freshwater hobby automatically go for the community setups. These are people like the younger girls, the older women, and sometimes even males. They like community aquariums as well. Then you have the semi-aggressive freshwater setup. These are fish that have a risk of being aggressive, and should be kept with other aggressive or less aggressive fish. Now, a semi-aggressive fish is a fish that can sometimes be aggressive, but is not guaranteed to always be aggressive. These include fish like angelfish, discus, rams, aspidos, and sometimes otters, tiger barbs, etc. And then you have aggressive these are fish that are overly aggressive and should be kept with only aggressive fish. For example, cichlids like red devils, Pyrochromus jaguars, Pyrochromus dovi, African cichlids, piranhas, etc. They are all aggressive. Okay? Now, you should choose what kind of setup you want for your aquarium. It is never okay under any circumstance to combine an aggressive fish with a community fish or a really aggressive fish to a semi-aggressive fish. 
for example, you cannot combine a Red Devil and a Discus. You're going to know the outcome. The Red Devil is going to murder the Discus. You cannot also combine a Piranha and an Oscar because a Piranha will eat an Oscar. Just because two fish live in the same area in the wild does not mean they're going to get along in an aquarium because in the wild they have thousands of miles to swim, thousands of gallons to swim, and we only got about hundreds in a home aquarium. So keep that in mind. Make sure you do your research and choose the style of fish that you want to keep. Because sometimes in my local Craigslist, I see fish tanks for sale that have fire mouse, red devils, African cichlids, Oscars, convicts, tetras, and all this weird assortment together. And I'm like, holy shit. So uh, make sure you <laughs> do your research before you just go out and buy. Because I notice in my area, there's a lot of uh, people just buying an impulse just to buy a fish, I think. Is that, is that yeah. likely in your area? Yeah, man, uh, I've I've seen a lot of, let's put arowana, flower horns, African cichlids, all in one tank, and I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, what are the, what are you doing, man? I think they just do it because oh, they're like that fish looks cool. They need to do the research beforehand. Yes, that's true. So make sure you do your research and don't throw this fish that fish together, not knowing if they're gonna get along together. So make sure you do your research. And pick a specific theme. So, anyways, here is my list of some fish that are good freshwater beginner fish. The first fish is goldfish. But, upon popular belief, goldfish cannot live in a bowl, nor can they live in a 5 or 10 gallon. They need a big tank and they need big filtration because goldfish have no stomachs and they're going to produce a lot of waste. So if you want a goldfish tank, I recommend 29 gallons and up. And 29 gallons is for the fancy uh, round goldfish. And anything other than those goldfish, you will need 75 gallons and up and even a pond. So if you want a goldfish as a beginner, you need a huge tank, like 29 gallons to 75. Tetras are awesome beginner fish. They stay really small, and they are really peaceful. White cloud minnows are really good beginner fish for freshwater. Some barbs are good beginner fish. I stay away from tiger barbs because they can be really nippy. I, however, have had some really peaceful ones. So it depends on the personality of the barbs that you have. I like the tiger barbs, but I've had 50-50 experience with them. I've had tiger barbs nip my entire tank, but then I've had tiger barbs that were peaceful. So it really depends. Live bearers like platties, mollies, swordtails, and guppies are all good beginner fish. Danios are the hardiest freshwater fish, in my opinion, so they're fine for beginners. Corridors catfish are awesome for beginners. Bettas are good. Your freshwater sharks are good, and no, they're not really sharks, they are fish. Uh, red tail sharks, rainbow sharks, and. Uh, all of those kinds of sharks are good. I stay away from iridescent sharks because they get huge. Garamis are good beginner fish. Bristlenose clecos are pretty good. They stay relatively small, only growing up to about six inches, so they're a good pleco for a beginner. Loaches are good. Those are all of your good community fish for beginners. 
Now we've got some of these semi-aggressive fish. Uh, convict cichlids, I would mark out as aggressive, but I've noticed that petcos are marking them as semi-aggressive. Um, I would say that convicts are generally aggressive, and I would not put them with semi-aggressive fish. Another semi-aggressive fish uh, would be a giant garami, the ones that get a foot long. Those are not as common as the other types of garamis, but they do make their rounds. The pecos and pet smart sometimes, they get really huge. Uh, Firemouth cichlids and Jack Desi cichlids and Green Terror cichlids, they're all good beginner semi-aggressive cichlids. Uh, they do get pretty big. The firemouth usually get about 6 inches. The jacks 8 to 12 inches, sometimes even bigger than that. Some people say the jacks get to be all 14 inches. I've never, ever seen one that big, but it's out there. Uh, green terror cichlids, they get anywhere from 8 to 12 inches as well. So all the cichlids I just mentioned, they're going to need at least a 75-gallon aquarium. And believe it or not, I do think beginners can keep Oscar cichlids. Oscars are pretty good. They're really, they're really hardy fish, but a beginner can keep an Oscar only under larger aquarium conditions. Yes, that's right. A beginner can have an Oscar, but only under large tank. Um, I'd say anywhere from a 75-gallon to a 125-gallon to start for an Oscar tank. Nothing less. There are people out there on the internet that say a 55-gallon aquarium is fine for an Oscar, and I think it is fine for an Oscar. One Oscar. But I'm going to tell you this. I know that a lot of the fish keepers, they cannot just have one fish in an aquarium. I'm like that myself. All right? Um, so, really, if you don't like having one fish per tank, then you should get a 75 or a 125 to have an Oscar. But they are beginner's fish. Now, I know that uh, some people get into the hobby because they've seen things like discus and African cichlids. Uh, but one thing I will tell you is that certainly, without a doubt, discus are not a beginner freshwater fish. I don't care what anyone tells you. They're not a beginner fish because, A, they are really expensive, and unless somebody is going to offer to pay for your discus, which nine times out of ten, <laughs> it's not going to happen. So discus are relatively expensive, and if you if they die, you lose tons of money. And, B, discus have... Really, really sensitive water parameters. They need pristine water to survive. And C, did I not tell you that nine times out of ten, a beginner is going to get bored with discus? Because discus, they just stay in a corner all day. I feel that discus are for the retirees. They're for the people who sit around and like to wash their tanks. I know that a lot of people who have fish tanks are getting into the hobby are relatively young, and they don't want to sit there and watch a fish that stays in one spot all day. But hey, That's you William T's all... business. Yeah, <laughs> you're right about that. Uh, he loves his discus, and rightfully so. They're not a bad fish, but I'm against him saying they are for beginners because they're not because he tells people that, and the right beginner believes him. And he goes out and buys $300 worth of discus, and they all die. I feel bad for the beginner. But yeah, don't do that. 
if you are bound and determined to have discus, I would say uh, do your research and uh, make sure you know the water parameters and uh, make sure you know how to handle good water. But anyways, enough of the discus chat. I, I had to bring that up because I just remember you used to say that discus are for beginners, and I don't feel that anymore. Uh, yeah. Our Af- <laughs> our African cichlids are good to get our fish out of it. Uh, you know, honestly, I don't, I, I don't concur with that at all. Um, I think you need to figure out how to keep a fish before you keep Africans. It, and everything Alex said is, it, it's totally turned around with Africans. With Africans, you need to overcrowd the tank for the aggression because if you don't, you'll have one fish picking on several fish. I've I've had my 200 gallon, and I've had one fish pick on 50 fish. And there would be one fish on one side of the tank and all the other fish on the other side side of the tank. And it, it's just, it's like a school dance. There's a guy over here and several girls over here kind of thing. Um, it's a totally different ball game with Africans. I think you should definitely uh, think about it before you do it. Oh, that's pretty interesting. I never knew that Africans weren't for the beginners either. So discus and Africans are actually not fish for the beginners. No, not at all. That sucks. I like both of them, but, <laughs> but really, if I had to choose, I'd go African cichlids. We they're active. Oh yeah, they're a lot more active. Agreed. I, that's why I really enjoy them. Um, but you gotta think about it like this, man. Um, for you to be able to overcrowd the tank, you've had to, you have to keep fish before that, so you know what kind of water changes you need to do, how you can keep your water parameters correct with uh, a weekly water change. I mean, and most people are just too damn lazy to do a water change. I'll be honest with you. I've seen some tanks, and I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you, man? Get off the damn couch and go do your shit. I mean, it's uh-huh. your pet. Take care of it, you know? Yeah, I, it's, I agree. You really, with you. Yeah, you, you've really got to keep fish, other fish before you keep Africans. It's a... Totally big old ball game with that situation. People just think, oh, we can just go out and get some Imbuna from uh, Petco. You know, those are the most aggressive Africans. This is stupid that I, I I think it's so stupid that they even sell Imbuna at Petco or PetSmart. It's ridiculous, man. You're going to ruin the beginner before before they even start. Um, they do not need to be for for a beginner. I. I am strongly against that. So, if y'all are thinking about getting African cichlids, keep your goldfish first. And it, like Alex said, you need a big tank for them. That, uh, that kind of goes along with Oscars. You need a huge tank because they have a big old bio load, pretty much, with their poop and their pee. If you can keep Oscars and you can keep, uh, let's say, goldfish, I'm going to say that you can keep your Africans because you're going to be doing a lot of water changes with the guys. Now, when I say a lot, dedicate one day out of the week, whether it be a Monday or Saturday through Sunday, whatever day, and do your water changes if you're going to try to do that. But that's with any fish, Alex. And, I, I mean, I, I strongly agree with keeping your water changes weekly. If you can't do that, you're not this, – this hobby is not for you whatsoever. I, I think that you really need to get into what you're going to do with water changes because I'm a lazy dude. So I got my python. I go around my whole house, and I keep the water changes up. Not that hard. I, I usually do it on a Friday. 
a Friday night or a Sunday day. You really need to do your water changes. That, that This is a big thing with a beginner. Alex, I'm sure you can agree with me on that. If you don't have water changes, they're just swimming in their pee and poop all the time. All the time. I don't care if it's a 200-gallon, a 500-gallon. You need to do your water changes. A 10-gallon, a 5-gallon, you absolutely need to do water changes on those. You need to make sure those are almost twice a week because they're such a small containment. Uh, What's your thoughts on that, Alex? Oh, I agree 100% with you on that, and I feel that uh, if you want to join the freshwater hobby or the saltwater hobby or the aquarium hobby in general, that you should be doing water changes. Now, when your tank is cycling, you can uh, get away with uh, skipping a water change, but once your tank is fully cycled and you have livestock, you should be looking at doing at least one water change a week. Now, when I had a freshwater tank, I did two or three water changes a week because a freshwater water change is very easy on the chemicals point of view. But now that I have a saltwater tank, I only do it once a week, and I do it on a Monday um, because saltwater water changes are more expensive than a freshwater water change because if I were to do three or four water changes a week, on a saltwater tank, I'd have to run out and buy a salt mix like every two weeks, so that'd be very costly. But if you've got a freshwater tank and you don't have to worry about paying for water, then I would advise doing at least uh, one water change a week. And it doesn't have to be a huge water change either. It could be anywhere from 10 to 30% or even 100%. Water changes are good, they're beneficial, and they're not going to harm your fish. So I agree with you. That point of water changes is very good, Donovan. Yeah, and, and you know, another thing with water changes, if you're going to do the water changes and you're going to do it right, make sure you have the right stuff to do it. you got to have a dechlorinator. My thing is Prime. I, I love Prime. I will stand behind Prime 100%. Not only does Prime dechlorinate water, but it also brings the ammonia level down. So while you're fighting putting that in there you also say if you had a 50 percent water change in a 55 gallon you put your cap full in there and yeah i'm saying a cap full because you're doing 55 gallons of water you're going to take the ammonia out of the water that's in the the 25 gallons that are sitting in the bottom or 30 whatever gallon then you're putting the new water in with the chlorine in it so it's doing two things at once it's diluting that ammonia and it's killing killing out that chlorine so I don't care what dechlorinator you use, but use dechlorinator. Don't just throw your water back in the tank. I agree 100% with you. When you're doing a water change, make sure you check your water parameters as well to make sure your nitrites and nitrates and your ammonia and pH is where they need to be. Very important. So now I want to talk about some freshwater fish that beginners should avoid. These would include common plecos because they get really huge. Not only that, people think that common plecos are actually going to eat all the algae in their aquarium. But the truth is, common plecos stop eating algae at about six or seven inches. They only eat algae as juveniles. Now, they will continue to eat algae at six, seven inches all the way to adulthood, but it's not going to be their... uh, complete diet all the time. They need to be supplemented with vegetables at that size. So if you were going to get a common pleco, you should know that they're not going to be an allergy eater all of their life. 
So you need to add pieces of cucumber, zucchini, lettuce, algae wafers, and things to their diet to keep them happy and to keep them healthy. But I love common fuckos, and I think they belong in a 75-gallon to up to a 300-gallon aquarium. Iridescent sharks don't belong in fish tanks. Iridescent sharks get anywhere from 3 feet to 5 feet. So these sharks get really huge. They belong out in the wild. And I don't know why Petco, PetSmart, and the fish store sell them, knowing that they're going to get huge. Same thing can be said for pakus and red-tailed catfish, tiger shellanose, and larger catfish. It can be said for gars and uh, arowanas and other monster fish in general. So what are your thoughts on that, Donovan? I really think that Petco and PetSmart and whatever other store really needs to think about what they're selling in their store. You're going to get a lot of things happening that, say, if you get red-tailed cats and they start taking over a lake or a river or whatever it might be, because people say, oh, they got too big for my tank. I'm going to throw them in the lake. No, dude. No, that's not how that works. You can't just throw it in the lake because there goes our conservation, and the conservation gets with the fish companies. Therefore, I think you should only be able to buy these fish unless you have a permit for it. No matter the situation, you need a permit showing that you have the right size aquarium, pond, etc., whatever it might be, that you can keep this fish. I don't think you should be able to sell these fish in stores whatsoever. It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, they're cool looking, man, but I think you need something big enough to keep them in. And a lot of people can't afford that. But they're selling these fish at $2.50 to $6 or so a piece. That's why everybody gets them and they can afford them. Okay, cool. You're getting this Paku. Say a Paku. You're getting this Paku. He's going to get huge. You can't keep him in a 55-gallon tank. He's going to need a 500-plus tank, gallon tank. Uh, I, I really think that you need some kind of permit to keep any of these fish. I agree 100% with you, and I could not have said that any better than uh, how you said it, so I think you're right about that. So we talked about all the freshwater fish now. I think it's time to talk about uh, the side of hobbies that I'm in now, the saltwater hobby. So let's chat about saltwater fish. But first, whenever you go into a fish store, you're going to see two sections of saltwater fish. The first section you're going to see is reef safe. Now, these are fish that can live with corals and invertebrates with no problem. These include fishes like clownfish, blennies, gobies, tangs, and all those fish of that nature. And then you're going to have fish that are not safe for reefs. These are known as non-reef safe. Now, these are fish that could potentially eat or kill invertebrates and harm corals. These fish would include uh, triggers, puffers, and uh, some of the other fish of that nature. Now, I am not particularly uh, care I don't particularly care about the non-reef fish, the non-reef safe fish, because I don't have any corals. So when I go into the fish store, I ignore the signs. I don't look at the reef safe for the non-reef safe because it doesn't matter to me. But if you have corals, you have to um, go into either one of those sides. So if you've got a coral tank, you definitely do not want a trigger. You don't want a puffer, or you don't want anything that can harm your inverts in the aquarium. But for me, I could have a trigger, I could have a puffer, I could have anything that is really a fish because I don't have any uh, corals. But if I wanted fire shrimp or 
any inverts, then I could not get a trigger. But I just want my beginners to understand what reef safe and non-reef safe is. And I was actually wondering that myself when I went to my fish store and I uh, went to other fish stores and Seth kindly explained that to me. So now I know what uh, reef safe and non-reef safe is. But for beginners, there's a lot of fish that could be kept as a beginner to saltwater. The first would be clownfish. Clownfish nowadays are extremely hardy, and they are actually captive bred. 99.9% of the clownfish in the aquarium hobby are all captive bred, which is awesome. The next beginner fish that is good for a beginner in the saltwater world is blennies. Now, blennies are actually algae eaters, so they're like the equivalent of a pleco to the saltwater world, except blennies will continue to eat algae all their life. Gobies are one hell of an awesome beginner fish, and I love gobies. I think gobies and clownfish and triggers and tangs were one of the reasons I entered into the saltwater world. And I actually have a fantastic specimen right now. I've got a uh, diamond goby, and I've gotten my fair share of criticism for having a diamond goby because everyone feels that a diamond goby only eats the fauna in the live sand. However, I proved them wrong, just like I proved everyone wrong my whole entire life, because my diamond goby is actually eating New Era Flakes. He's actually eating uh, market shrimp, brine shrimp, blood worms, and some other food that I have. I feed him three or four times a day, and he is doing fantastic. So, let this be known for all my listeners. Don't ever believe uh, everything you see online. Because I almost believe that diamond gobies are hard to keep and they want nothing but fauna in the sand. Because now that I have a diamond goby, I know that's not particularly the case. Because you may get lucky. So hopefully uh, you guys will have the same experience as I have. But generally, nine times out of ten, the other gobies are really easy to keep. They say that the watchman gobies, the ones that pair with the shrimps, they're really easy to keep as well. And uh, I'm actually going to be getting a Watchman Gobi for my 120, and uh, I'll keep him with my Diamond Gobi as well. So Gobies are an awesome beginner saltwater fish. Hawkfish. Can I add something, are, Alex? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. All right, man. So I also want to say for a beginner, do not get a dog-faced puffer or any kind of puffer fish at the beginning um, because you really need to look in your research in that because – I know that like a clown puffer fish, um, if they die, they will definitely kill your whole entire stock tank. So really do your research before you buy any puffer fish for your aquarium. I don't think they're for beginners. Very well said. And puffers are definitely on the list for not for beginners. But hawkfish are. Hawkfish are a really cool fish. They come in a variety of uh, different species, flame hawk, arc-eyed hawkfish, long-nosed hawkfish, short-nosed hawkfish. There's a whole variety of them. But one thing to keep in mind, if you want shrimps or snails or crabs or any sort of inverts, you don't want a hawkfish because that's their diet in the wild. So it's going to be their diet in the home aquarium. So I am trying to decide for my 29-gallon if I want inverts or not. If I don't want inverts, I'll get a hawkfish, but if I do, I'll find a suitable replacement. Uh, dwarf angelfish. 
Flame Angels, Coral Beauty Angels, Bicolor Angels, and all of those awesome uh, Dwarf Angels are very, very uh, hardy for beginners. They're, they're a very nice angel, and they're uh, easy to care for. Now, notice I said Dwarf Angels. Large angelfish are not for beginners because they actually are more sensitive than the littler ones, believe it or not. Uh, they grow really large, and they have specific requirements. Tangs are a good beginner fish, but the one thing that you should know about tangs, your standard 40-gallon breeder reef or your 55-gallon reef is not going to be adequate for a tang, even a yellow tang. Tangs, you're looking at 75 to 150 gallons and bigger. Otherwise, you're going to get the tank police on you, and the tank police are going to tell you how bad of a citizen you are for having a tang in such a small aquarium. I've seen that in all the saltwater forms that I'm on. It's like, Jesus, get a life, people. It's their fish tank, but <laughs> they really feel strongly about their tangs in uh, small aquariums. But tangs really belong in a 75 or a 150 or bigger, and I, I kind of agree with the tank police. Uh, for me, I think my 120 will be fine for a blue hippo tang and a yellow tang uh, oh, yeah. when I when I get it set up and running. So tangs are good, but the one beginner mistake I've noticed on the forums is that people automatically presume that their tangs are also going to eat meat, but they're not usually. Uh, the If you get a wild-caught tang, it's never going to touch meat because in the wild it's never eaten meat. They're used to seaweed and sea algae and vegetation. So if you were a beginner and you want a tank, make sure you have a large tank and you provide it the diet that it needs. Triggers are pretty good. Uh, they, are, they are not a reef-safe fish. So if you have corals, you can scratch off triggers from your list. But they do good in a fish-only system. Uh, they get pretty big. They look like a puffer but they are not a puffer. Uh, they have a variety of different triggers, clown triggers, humu-humu triggers, uh, blue throat triggers, niger triggers. Uh, there's a variety of different triggers out there. Um, some of them will eat your clownfish, so you got to be careful. You should go with the more peacefuler ones, like a blue throat trigger, uh, niger trigger, and all of those ones. Uh, but they are pretty good for beginners. Some wrasses can be good for beginners. I would avoid the six-line wrasses because they're really aggressive. Uh, snowflake eels, they are actually a type of moray eel. They do get pretty big, uh, usually around two to three feet, but they can live in a 120 and up, and they're pretty easy to keep. But they will eat small fish as well. Now, for inverts, shrimps, crabs, and snails are all good. Now, the fish to avoid as a beginner are your seahorses. They're really expensive, delicate, and they die easy. Morishitals, they are really delicate as well. Pipefish, gardener eels, and believe it or not, uh, mandarin dragonettes. They can be uh, iffy, iffy. Uh, some of them may not eat anything but copods, and the others may starve to death. Or... You can actually get a really good one that eats brine shrimp, my, my fish shrimp, and uh, any of the normal saltwater food. But generally, that's really rare. It does not happen that often. I know that you had a really good one, didn't you, Donovan? 
I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Oh, I was talking about the Mandarin Dragonette, Kobe. You had one that ate regular food, right? Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm That's okay. Tang. Uh, yes, I did, I did have one. He actually ate frozen krill, and uh, he, he did really good. I didn't have a problem with him getting skinny or anything of the sort. And he's still actually in Romulus's tank right now, and I think he's still doing pretty good. Um, Romulus is pretty excited about him. He's got more color than any other fish in the tank. You know, I've been, I've been really convinced about getting one. I don't know if I'm going to do it yet or not, but the reason that I, I'm having my doubts is if I hear people saying that they're hard to feed and stuff. No, man. Uh, actually, they they also feed off stuff off your live rock. So, I mean, it, they they keep yourself pretty fed for the most part. I, I think you would actually do pretty good with one, man. I mean, the worst thing you could do is spend 20 bucks and you could die on you. But I, I didn't have any problem with it, so I don't see why you would. Yeah, that's a good point. I uh, I agree with you on that. So those are all of the saltwater fish that beginners can't keep and should avoid. Now, you, you notice that I did not mention damsels, and the reason is uh, damsels are really aggressive, and um, they will attack other fish. And unless you want aggressive tank, I would not recommend damsels. What are your thoughts on they're damsels? Yeah, they're like the convicts of the saltwater hobby, I think. Yeah, you know, I had I had two in my 20-gallon when I started, and then I also went along with having more. There was like four or five more, actually, and I had them in the 55-gallon. And, you know, adding those other four to the tank, the other two did not care for that, and so they picked on them. They ended up stressing one out and killing them. So you should really be careful on your damsels. If you're just going to keep damsels only, you buy them all at the same time and you put them in the tank. But here you go with that four four fish, you know, every time or two fish every time you put it in your tank because you're bio loads. So really, you shouldn't get damsels at all. <laughs> I mean, to be honest with you. I agree with you. I don't know why the fish stores sell them. They're kind of ugly, if you ask me. Uh, there's, Alex, I mean, I, I beg to differ on that. I think there's some really pretty ones. they got blues and yellows, and they have the black ones with the stripes. Uh, I like I like the stripes and things of that sort. So it's all in preference, I think, because they have some really pretty ones. Yeah, that's true. So are you, my listeners, and you, Don, ready for the major announcement that's going to make your draws throw? Dude, let's hear it. Okay, so can I have a uh, drum roll, please? All right, so I actually have uh, some announcements that I would like to share with you. And I am very excited about sharing this with you. So first, I'm actually going to spoil the 250th episode really quickly. I would like to Uh-oh. announce one of my special surprise guests. There's going to be two other special surprise guests, but I'm going to tell you one of them. I decided to do it so that you would tune in. Anyways, uh, the first of three special surprise guests is going to be Fishkeeper Jonathan Krasinski, who is going to be live from the 2015 Ohio Cichlid Association extravaganza so technically he will be broadcasting live on location for our 250th episode 
And he's actually one of the persons responsible for that, I believe. So that's going to be really exciting. I have been trying for years to get him on my show, and now I finally have him on my 250th episode. And that will be at 9.10 p.m. Eastern, 8.10 p.m. Central, 7.10 p.m. Mountain, and 6.10 p.m. Pacific. So the person broadcasting live from the 2015 OCA extravaganza is Monster Fish Rescuer Jonathan Trzynski. I know that a lot of my fish keepers out there are going to recognize that name, and I'm sure you guys are going to tune into the 250th episode for sure now. I'll give you a hint for the third guest, the final guest. He's actually a well-known uh, reefer in the saltwater world. He's got a very successful YouTube channel, and he does monthly contests and reef giveaways. So I'm not going to spill the beans because he did not want me to spill the beans. He wants to remain a secret. So we'll keep him as a secret. He'll be the guest at 1030 on the 250th episode. All right. Now the announcement that I've been waiting for all show. It brings me great pleasure to announce that I have finalized and booked a guest appearance with the sales manager of Carob Sea. And Carob Sea provides uh, live sand to your local fish stores and pet stores. They provide Life Rock, which is a rock that is designed for saltwater aquariums. They also provide substrate for African cichlid aquariums. They provide plant substrate for uh, planted aquariums and freshwater world. So they have a whole lot of stuff. I have finalized a deal where I'm going to interview the manager. His name is uh, Jude, and he's going to be on the show on November 30th. He will be our surprise guest on the Breaking News show. So I am really excited to have the opportunity to interview Carob C. Manager. And I'm going to ask him about the live rock that they sell, the life rock, and all the live sand and stuff. So that's going to be phenomenal. So what do you think of my announcements, uh, Donovan? I think that this is going to be one of the biggest shows yet, Alex. I am super stoked about this. People, listen to this 250th episode. It's going to be amazing. Alex has got some big things happening. I think this is probably going to be the biggest show I've heard yet from See, I, I told you guys, whenever I keep a secret from you guys, it's usually something huge. So I am really honored, first of all, that Jonathan Trzynski, who is a monster fish rescuer, accepted my opportunity to be a guest. And I'm really ecstatic and happy that I have uh, KRMC coming on the show because I think they're one of the only companies that is famous for the actual Fuji Pink live saltwater sand and the Hawaiian Black live sand. So... I am uh, really pumped about that. So, November 21st at 9 p.m. Eastern is going to be must-hear radio. And November 30th at 9 p.m. Eastern is also going to be a must-hear radio show as well. Not only do I have KRFC on the 30th, I'm also making some groundbreaking news and announcements regarding the whole American Variety Network. And you guys got to tune in for that. So, I hope you guys uh, enjoyed these announcements. It was a great show, Donovan, wasn't it? Oh, I loved it, Alex. It actually turned out pretty well. I think we did I a think uh, your beginner. 
Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I think if you're a beginner, this would be a great episode for you. But like Alex said, listen to the two episodes before this, before you get to where we were talking today. Awesome. So this was a fantastic show, and I hope all the beginners have uh, some of the information they need to succeed in the hobby. So I'm going to have to find out our next topic for our next show. We'll have to think about that. Uh, I think we'll be on air in two weeks from now with another episode of uh, Aquarium Talk. So, Donovan, you did a great job as my co-host tonight. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Alex. You did an awesome job as well, man. Have a good night. You too. So I have tomorrow off, so I want all my listeners to enjoy their Friday night. But I will actually be back on Saturday, uh, November 14th, 2015, at 9 p.m. Eastern for another fish show, believe it or not. This Saturday I'm doing a species profile on the Diamond Gobi, so make sure you tune in for that. And then Sunday I have the Chef Cardinelli cooking show. So we are really getting close to our 250th episode. That is going to be phenomenal. All right, fish keepers, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for tuning in to tonight's episode of Aquarium Talk, the podcast. For Donovan Barger, this is Alice Cardinelli, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in to this fantastic episode. Make sure you follow Aquarium Talk, the podcast on Facebook. Good night, everyone. I need you, girl, I need you now, I need you now, I need you now. Everywhere she go, my eyes follow, like her to show me everything she know, the way she move, the things she do. <laughs> Mac, yeah! This girl's electric, hooked by her energy I've got a positive vibe, I'm talking chemistry This feeling's taking over me, I'm having an epiphany Saw her from across the room, now she's got a hold of me Spark a conversation with her, identify her needs I see potential in her dialect, enticing Easy to read, I see she's intrigued Girl, I need you now, timing is everything Everywhere she goes, my eyes fall Low, like her to show me everything she knows The way she moves, the things she do Got me like, girl I need you now I need you now, I need you now I need you now, girl I need you now I need you now, I need you I need you, girl I need you now Her, she's a bad girl The type to change my world Turn me upside down, literally top me down She takes initiative, damn I'm intimidated Her body's calling me, look at that body language Watching from a distance, seeing what she has to offer I feel like a stalker, can't take my eyes off her I can tell she's different, time I get acquainted So here's to being ambitious and living dangerous Everywhere she go, my eyes follow Like her to show me everything I need
way she carries herself, I'm optimistic Need to be assertive, trust my intuition This here is innocent, I've got good intentions Hold nothing back now, we've got a connection Everything I've ever wanted, flirting with perfection We'd be good together, yes, why not suggest it? You don't know the half of it, I'm highly articulate Know what you're yearning for, you down to experiment? Everywhere she goes, my eyes follow Like her to show me everything she knows The way she moves, the things she do Got me like, girl I need you now I need you now, I need you now I need you now, girl I need you now I need you now, I need you I need you, girl I need you now That's all, folks.